When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The crew of the Manifest Destiny departed Earth four years, seven months, and eighteen days ago. Thousands of us boarded the Ark-class freighter with one collective goal, to start a colony on a new world. Humanity has been depending on voyages like ours to find a new interstellar home in the wake of Earth's impending collapse. We left the planet as a beacon of hope and possibility shining down on our old home as we cut through the inky blackness of space. And now, there's only two of us left. It came out of nowhere. For four years, seven months, and ten days, the inhabitants of the Manifest Destiny lived in bliss. We all went about our daily lives without struggle. Only the healthiest individuals were chosen for the voyage, so a disease was practically non-existent. There was no crime because no one wanted for anything. We had more than enough food in the silos to keep us going until we got to our new home on Omega. We knew the work would be hard when we got there, but until then, Destiny's colonists were content to kick back, relax, and enjoy our little self-contained utopia. That is until we pass through the nebula. I don't even know if the nebula is the right word for it. The truth is, our scientists weren't quite sure what to make of it when we were still alive. It was indeed a cloud of gas and dust, but there was something else in it, something that they never managed to identify. There simply wasn't enough time to figure it out. We entered the nebula eight days ago, and in that short stretch of time, barely longer than a week, one of humanity's last vestiges crumbled. Whatever was in the nebula began its work on us almost immediately. It started with our inhibitions first, the population of the destiny, which was composed of people who had trained their entire lives for this mission, began to get sloppy. The measured and trained populace started cutting corners. We ate too much, drank too much, and shirked our tasks that we had done without fail for years. It was like we all decided to go on a vacation at the same time. Hannah and I spent the day in bed, lazing about and making love like we were teens again. In space, you live and die by your routines and focus. It takes precision to run a ship and keep a colony alive. The sloppiness had taken its toll by the end of the first day. Double the portion amounts had been withdrawn from the food stores, and multiple key areas of the ship required extra attention to get back to the proper levels. Of course, things got only worse the next day. If the first day had been a mass vacation, then the second day was a mass revel. No one worked. Everyone went out and did whatever they felt like doing. 
Parties and orgies sprang up all across the Ark, filling living spaces, dining halls, and recreation rooms with people splurging and indulging whatever fantasy they had left behind in their pursuit of the stars. Even I took part in the debauchery. There were no exceptions. Our best and brightest got their rocks off that day just like everyone else. I couldn't really tell you what it was like either. I remember loving every minute of it, and I know that Hannah and I got separated at some point, but I don't remember any discreet moments or interactions. It was all just one big haze of pleasure. And then the lights went out. Apparently two whole days of neglect and abuse was enough to throw the ship's systems out of whack. All systems deemed by the program as non-essential for survival were taken down until the proper maintenance could be done to get everything back up to snuff. That woke some of us up. I remember how it felt to run through the halls down to the maintenance levels of the ship, and pass by several rooms where the indulgent events simply continued on in the red glow of the emergency lights. I knew these people. I had lived with and worked with them for years. They're my friends and colleagues, and this just wasn't them. Something was wrong. I ran through all my duties for hours, solving every problem I could, but there was just too much to do alone. It took thousands to keep the ship running, and only dozens seemed to have woken up. We needed a better answer. After an emergency meeting with the remaining crew, about 200 people in total, we came up with an idea. We split into two groups, one of which set about the task of systemically fixing up every system on the ship in order of importance. That would hopefully buy us enough time for the second group, which I was a part of, to figure out what was going on with the rest of the colonists. The next two days fell into a strange pattern. We'd sleep in shifts, taking turns coaxing individuals out of their revelries and into our testing rooms where we'd try to make them lucid again. Some of us would even fall back into the hypnotic trance ourselves and need to be pulled out again. We conducted these tests, and all the while, I searched the ship for Hannah. We discovered a few vital yet baffling things in those days, the first of which being that there was no difference between the mind of a lucid colonist and a fugue colonist. Our brains function the exact same way regardless. The second thing we noticed was that the chances of slipping into the fugue state grew exponentially as we became physically closer to those within the state. That's when I had my first breakthrough. Realizing that I had been drawn out of my own fugue when I had drifted to the outside of the group I was in, I quickly enacted a policy for the rest of us. We would start chiseling away at the numbers if we simply began to isolate them. Of course, that led to even further complications. The groups that extracted individuals needed to be careful not to get sucked into the sway and they always needed to outnumber those in the fugue. If you found yourself alone with someone in that state, there was a 50-50 chance of you losing yourself and getting pulled back in. At the same time we were doing our research and attempting extractions, 
The other half of our group was hard at work trying to keep the ship operational and attempting to isolate any possible form of radiation or energy reading that might explain what was going on. Both groups were unsuccessful. The fifth day was when things took a turn for the worst. Exhaustion and dehydration had taken a toll on those who were four days into the party at the end of the world. We had expected for the gatherings to start to slowly dissipate on their own once they ran out of steam, but something strange began to happen instead. The tone of the revels changed, turning aggressive and violent. The crowds that had once been dancing and feasting were suddenly arguing and fighting. The first death happened within hours of the shift, and hundreds were dead by the end of the day. Our frantic search for answers morphed into a fight for survival in just a few hours. We barricaded ourselves in the labs and maintenance rooms, attempting to continue our research as riots filled the ship. Whatever fugue the colonists had fallen into became harder and harder to break out of. By the end of the sixth day, radio contact told us that less than half the population remained alive. I had all but given up my search for Hannah by then. She was likely just another victim, laying dead in a trashed hallway somewhere on the ship. I decided to put her out of my mind. There would be time to mourn when it was all over. The lab I was sleeping in was breached in the early hours of the seventh morning. Apparently the feud was still contagious, and had managed to take a hold of the researcher who was on watch. It got me too. I remember more from the anger than I do from the ecstasy. The pleasure had been foggy and ethereal, but the fury was vivid and visceral. I remember killing with reckless abandon, attacking any unfortunate soul that came too close to me. Without a doubt, the worst part of it all was how right it felt. Hurting people like that was its own sick form of pleasure. My colleague John managed to pull me out of the fugue somehow. The way he told it, John trapped me in the far closet of his living quarters until I quieted down, and then he just sat on the other side of the door until I came to my senses. When I asked him why he took a chance like that, when it could have spread to him, John shrugged and replied that he had nothing better to do. He was never much of an optimist to begin with, but it was clear that he had accepted our fate. There's not much point in fighting it anymore, he told me last night, just before dawn broke on the eighth day. Too much damage had been done for us to have any real chance of survival. But I just couldn't bring myself to let you stay like that and there might have been something I could do to help. By the time we managed to run a system diagnostic, there were only a hundred or so people left alive in the manifest destiny. Thousands of lives, trillions of dollars, and one of humanity's last chances of survival were all senselessly wiped out in the span of a week. John and I developed a plan together, we would head to the bridge and try to send a message back to Earth with what little time we had left. 
maybe we could warn them not to send any more arcs our way. Most of the remaining people were clustered near the bridge, seemingly seeking each other out, so we would have to be careful not to be seen. It took a few hours, but we managed to make it to the bridge without incident. John ran over to the security system and tried to activate the door override to shut it while I darted to the nearest terminal to check for vital signs on the ship. The ship was almost completely devoid of life, save for three dots on the bridge. I spun around to warn John, but it was too late. He looked at me with a mixture of sadness and acceptance as his hand clutched his stomach where the knife had been plunged. He collapsed in a heap at the feet of his killer, who stood above him in a mess of tangled hair and torn clothes. I shouted in protest, and the killer, the only other person alive on the ship, turned around to face me. It was Hannah. Shock and horror mingled with rage and anguish as my wife charged me. I must have surprised her too, since she left the blade embedded in John's gut when she ran for me. Seeing that she was unarmed, I ran at her and lowered my shoulder at the last moment, ducking under her and using her momentum to flip her over my shoulder. I kept running toward the entrance, praying she would take the bait and follow. And she did. Scrambling to her feet, Hannah ran at me again, screaming at me through the contorted and blood-stained face. And this time, I stepped to the side and grabbed her outstretched arm before pivoting and throwing her into the hallway. A quick push of the override button later, and the giant metal doors slid shut, separating the two of us. Somehow, John had found a way to save my life again. Hannah's shrieks and pounding on the door were enough to drive me to the far edge of the bridge, over to the captain's chair. It was there, as I mourned for the loss of countless lives, including my own, that I became aware of another presence nearby. In front of the ship, out on the swirling debris of the nebula, was a figure... It wasn't humanoid in the slightest, in fact, it looked more to me like a living river delta made of stardust and light. No part of me would have thought twice about it if it weren't for the fact that something in me just knew that it wasn't some random clump of space gas. It was a being. Why have you come to me? The question came to my head. Not in words or in images, but simply as a full idea disconnected entirely from language. We didn't mean to, I said out loud, unsure of whether or not I would be understood. We were just looking for a new home. After a moment, I got a response. But that's not what you wanted. The answer filled my mind and I couldn't help but marvel at the totality of understanding what it felt when it did. There was no miscommunication with these messages. I knew exactly what was meant without any language at all. But at the same time, my curiosity and frustration were both piqued. This thing had somehow doomed us all. 
and I was going to need better answers than that. How would you know what we wanted? I asked. I felt you. What did you do to us? I freed you. My rage overwhelmed me. You didn't free anything. You killed us all. You did what you wanted. We went back and forth like that for hours, debating whether or not the nebula knew what we actually wanted. But there was no point arguing with it. It was clear that this being of immense power and grandeur simply couldn't connect with human emotions or experiences. It didn't seem to have any sense of guilt or regret or even any real concept of death. More than anything, it was just baffled by the fact that we spent so much of our lives doing things we didn't want to do. I guess it sought to free us from that. There aren't words to describe the defeat and hopelessness I felt after my talk with the nebula. I had made humanity's first ever contact with an extraterrestrial being, and it had all of us kill each other because it seemed like we wanted to. Maybe on some level it was, but I don't think that matters too much anymore. I slumped in the captain's chair for a moment before making a decision. Do you know what I want more than anything right now? Yes. Can you give me that? And after all that you've taken from me, can I at least have that? The last thing I remember was the door to the bridge opening up as I moved to embrace Hannah. Then... Together, the two of us blissfully disappeared into ecstasy as the ship's life support systems finally failed. End Prism Communication <laughs>